Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. يقول الله جل وعلا في كتابه الكريم 
يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اتَّقُوا اللَّهَ حَقَّ تُقَاتِهِ وَلَا تَمُوتُنَّ إِلَّا وَأَنْتُمْ مُسْلِمُونَ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اتَّقُوا اللَّهَ وَقُولُوا قَوْلًا سَدِيدًا يُصْلِحْ لَكُمْ أَعْمَالَكُمْ وَيَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبَكُمْ وَمَن يُطِعِ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ فَقَدْ فَازَ فَوْزًا عَظِيمًا أَمَّا بَعْدُ فَإِنَّ أَصْدَقَ الْحَدِيثِ كِتَابُ اللَّهِ وَخَيْرَ الْهَدْيِ هَدْيِ سَيِّدِنَا مُحَمَّدٍ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ وَسَلَّمَ وَشَرَّ الْأُمُورِ مُحْتَثَاتُهَا وَكُلَّ مُحْتَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٌ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٌ وَكُلَّ ضَلَالَةٍ فِي النَّارِ أَعَاذَنَا اللَّهُ وَإِيَّاكُمْ مِنْهَا أَجْمَعِينَ أَمَّا بَعْدُ Dear brothers and sisters Allah Jalla Jalaluhu has revealed in the Holy Quran وَلَقَدْ أَرْسَلْنَا مُوسَى بِآيَاتِنَا أَنِ اخْرِجْ قَوْمَكَ مِنَ الظُّلُمَاتِ إِلَى النُّورِ وَذَكِّرْهُمْ بِأَيَّامِ اللَّهِ إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِكُلِّ صَبَّارٍ شَكُورٍ صدق الله العظيم Allah Jalla Jalaluhu says in the Qur'an We have certainly sent Musa with our signs instructing him to take your people out of the shadows of darkness and into the light and remind them of the days of Allah. Indeed, in that are signs for every person who is exceedingly patient and grateful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse tells us that He instructed Musa alayhi salam to take his people, Bani Israel, out of the zulumat, the shadows of darkness, the darknesses of oppression and disbelief and tyranny and error and into the nur, into the light, the light of guidance. And then Allah Ta'ala tells Musa alayhi salam, وَذَكِّرْهُمْ بِأَيَّامِ اللَّهِ And remind them of the days of God. What are the days of God, dear brothers and sisters? The ulama of tafsir say that the ayyam Allah, the days of God, this is a command from Allah Ta'ala to Musa, telling him to remind his people of the tests, to remind his people of the difficulties, and remind them of the blessings of being pulled out of darkness and brought into light of being rescued from oppression and taken to a place of purity. وَذَكِّرْهُمْ بِأَيَّامِ اللَّهِ Remind them of the days of God. Remind them of the good times and the bad. Remind them of the blessings and the trials. Because in all of these things, dear brothers and sisters, the good and the bad, the blessings and the trials, in all of these things are ayat. إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِكُلِّ صَبَّارٍ شَكُورٍ Indeed, in these things, the good times and the bad times, the blessings and the trials are signs. They are signs. They are ayat. What is an ayah? An ayah, as the ulama say, is مَا تُشِيرُ إِلَى غَيْرِهَا It is that thing that points to other than itself. So the signs in these trials and in these blessings point to the majesty of Allah. They point to the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
His Jalal. And they point to the mercy of Allah Ta'ala and the grace of Allah Ta'ala, the Jamal of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. All of these signs, Allah says, are pointing to His greatness. But not everyone's going to recognize the signs of God. Allah says, وَذَكِّرْهُمْ بِأَيَّامِ اللَّهِ And remind them of the days of God. But not everyone takes the reminder. Allah Ta'ala tells us in this very verse that these things are signs not for everyone. They are signs for people who have two key qualities. إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِكُلِّ صَبَّارٍ شَكُورٍ Indeed, in these signs, these things are signs for every person who is exceedingly patient and grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If a person is lacking in this gratitude, if they are lacking in this patience, they will not recognize the signs. They will not appreciate the signs of Allah ta'ala in the good times and in the bad, in the blessings and in the trials. When a person is ungrateful, they are arrogant. And when they are arrogant, Allah says that that person is diverted from Allah's signs. So asrifu an ayati alladhina yatakabbaruna fil ardi bighayr al-haqq. Allah says, I will divert from my signs those who act arrogantly on the earth without right. But those who have patience, those who exercise sabr, those who are grateful servants of Allah Ta'ala, Allah opens for them their vision so where they can see the ayat of Allah. They can see the signs of Allah and recognize them for what they are. The signs in the good times and in the bad, in the blessings and in the trials. Dear brothers and sisters, Allah Ta'ala says, Remind them of the days of God. And the days of God, the ulama say, apply to any momentous event in our history that we should remember and be reminded of. And one of those days of God is upon us right here and right now. It is the custom of Muslims around the world, no matter where they are, to commemorate and remember and talk about one of the momentous days of God that occurred in this period, in this month of Rajab. And that is the incident of Al-Isra wal Mi'raj, the miraculous <coughs> night journey and ascension through the heavenly realms. This is a story that concerns the Prophet wasallam and what he experienced, but it also concerns us because many of the lessons pertain to us in this life and how we navigate life in this dunya. When all of the layers of detail are peeled back from the story of the Isra and the Mi'raj, because it is a very detailed story, when we peel back all of the layers of detail, we see that in essence, the story of the Isra and the Mi'raj is a story of how Allah Ta'ala <coughs> honors the Prophet ﷺ after a period of great difficulty. The Isra means to journey by night. And the Mi'raj is to ascend. It is the ascension. Now the Prophet ﷺ is always in ascension in the sense that he is always in proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
as the best of Allah's creation. But what this means here, dear brothers and sisters, is that the mi'raj was physical and not just spiritual. It is the position of us as Muslims that the Isra and the mi'raj was not a dream. It was not a vision. It was a physical experience as well. Subhanalladhi asra bi'abdihi laylan min al-masjid al-harami ila al-masjid al-aqsa. Allah Ta'ala mentions it as the journey He took His servant on, not as a dream vision. Now to understand this story, this very long and detailed story, it's important to understand the background. What was going on before this momentous occasion of the Isra and the Mi'raj? In the 10th year after the Prophet ﷺ was given the Risala, the command to convey the mission, the strongest supporters of the Prophet ﷺ, his strongest patrons who lent him moral and physical support in Mecca, his uncle Abu Talib and his beloved wife Sayyidah Khadija, both passed away. That was in the 10th year after the mission. Abu Talib passed away, and in short order, Sayyidah Khadija passed away. His uncle Abu Talib was his great patron and supporter, and his beloved wife Sayyidah Khadija radiallahu anha spent of her wealth for him and strove in service to him sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Now after Abu Talib and Khadija passed away, the mushrikun of Mecca increased their oppression and persecution towards the Muslims and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. They boycotted them as well. And because of all of these difficulties he faced one after the other, this year came to be known as the year of sadness, Amr Huzn. The year of sadness, not just because he was sad over the loss of his patron Abu Talib and his beloved wife Sayyidah Khadija, but it was a sadness over the impediments, the barriers that were being set up to make it more difficult to call people to La ilaha illallah Muhammadun Rasulullah. That's another reason why it is called the year of sadness. Because things became more difficult in conveying that, that message to humanity. Now soon after this, after the passing of his uncle and his beloved wife, the Prophet ﷺ was inspired by Allah Ta'ala to journey to the city of Ta'if to go seek the sponsorship and protection of its people to establish Ta'if as a base for da'wah a base for calling people to Allah Ta'ala, and in order to call them as well. But the chieftains of Ta'if did not want to listen. They did not want to have the Prophet ﷺ stay among them. But instead of acting honorably and declining that offer and sending him on his way, they also communicated this to Quraysh to let them know what he was up to. And in addition to that, they kicked him out of the city of Ta'if. And in addition to that, they didn't just kick him out, but they also, also riled up the Sufaha'ul Qawm, the, the low lives of the town, the trash of the town, the Sufaha, the foolish people of the town, the midwits of the town, riled them up to pelt the Prophet ﷺ and Zayd ibn Haritha with stones to throw stones at them as they were leaving the city of Ta'if. The hadith narration describes it as Rasulullah ﷺ and Zayd leaving 
going downhill as the foolish people are following them, pelting them with stones from the right and from the left and from in front of them and from behind them to the point that the Prophet ﷺ began to shed blood. His blessed blood began to shed to the point where it reached the bottom of his feet ﷺ. Meanwhile, Zayd ibn Haritha, Hibbu Rasulillah ﷺ, the beloved of the Messenger, was trying to shield the Prophet ﷺ from the stones. What any mu'min would have done, anyone in that position would have done the exact same thing. To stand and take the, the rocks for themselves as they are flying to jump and have them hit them instead of hitting the Prophet ﷺ. And so Zayd was wounded and he was bleeding as well. And they continued until they got out of Ta'if and they found refuge in an orchard where they found shade, where they found water, where they found fruits. And it was there in that orchard where the Prophet ﷺ made his famous dua. Now imagine the hurt. Imagine the feelings of the Prophet ﷺ. He just lost his wife. He just lost his, his patron, his beloved uncle Abu Talib. His people are facing a boycott. He was rejected by the people of Ta'if. He was chased out of the city and pelted with stones. And in that orchard, the Prophet ﷺ made a very long and beautiful dua. And in the beginning of that dua, he says, Allahumma ilayka ashku da'fa quwwati wa qillata hilati wa hawani ala nas Ya arhamur rahimin ila man takiluni ila aduwin yatajahamuni aw ila qareebin malaktahu amri in lam yakun bika alayya ghadabun fala ubali He said, sallam, O Allah, Unto you alone do I plead my lack of strength. And unto you alone do I complain the paucity of my efforts and my humiliation before the people. O most merciful of the merciful, you are the Lord of the oppressed and you are my Lord. To whom have you sent me? To a distant host who receives me repugnantly or to an enemy you've authorized over my affair? And then he says the most powerful part of the dua, إِن لَمْ يَكُنْ بِكَ عَلَيَّ غَضَبٌ فَلَا أُبَالِي If you are not angry with me, I don't care. I don't care what I receive in the, in the path of La ilaha illallah. Because this is the message Allah gave him. As long as Allah Ta'ala is radin anhu, is pleased with him, that's all that matters. Look at this expression of servitude from the Prophet This is all before the Isra, dear brothers and sisters. Before the Isra and the Mi'raj. We should ask ourselves a couple of questions here. This is in the path of da'wah. This is a sacrifice and an experience of the Prophet in the path of da'wah. What is da'wah? Da'wah is calling people to La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. How many of us Call anyone to Allah. How many of us invite anyone to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger? How many of us have ever engaged in da'wah on any level whatsoever? And if we have engaged in any kind of da'wah to people, have any of us faced anything like this? The reality is, 
Most Muslims do not invite others to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Most people keep their faith a secret, or they keep it very private, and they don't talk about it. Most Muslims are not inviting others to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if they do, rarely will they ever face anything close to this level of persecution and oppression. The second thing we should reflect on from this part of the story, dear brothers and sisters, is how we respond after we face a calamity that is much smaller than this. When trials and tribulations rain down on us, and they do from time to time, and everyone here is going through something, small or large, we don't know what the other person next to us is going through, which is why we should have some empathy with people. But how are we after those hard times come? How are we after a calamity befalls us? Are we turning to Allah Ta'ala first and foremost? Or is He the last one we call upon after we have exhausted all of our efforts with everyone else? We think about all the other khalq, creation, we can look to for help in our difficulty. And then when that's been exhausted, then we turn to Allah in dua. Is this how we are? We see from the Prophet that the first turning is to our Lord and Creator, Allah Jalla Jalalu. Now after this dua was made, Allah Ta'ala answered it. Allah Ta'ala consoled His beloved Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Divine Rescue came swiftly. The owners of that garden, they helped the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he soon returned to Mecca. And there in Mecca, he responded to an invitation given to him. He invited the people of Ta'if and they rejected his da'wah. And then his Lord gave him a da'wah, an invitation that he answered, an invitation for the Isra and the Mi'raj, the night journey and ascent. This, the ulama say, was a kind of mukafa'a, a kind of divine recompense for the patience that he showed during these difficulties. Dear brothers and sisters, the lesson should be clear. If Rasulullah faces trial after trial raining down in this short period of time, and he turns to Allah Ta'ala with patience and receives the Isra and the Mi'raj as a mukafa'ah, what do you think about your difficulty? When you turn to Allah Ta'ala, Allah gives you an opening after that. In a time of His choosing, not necessarily the time of your choosing. So through this incident, the Prophet ﷺ is teaching us that we have to be patient and call upon Allah Ta'ala when we face tribulations. We do not lose hope, we do not despair, we do not complain to creation. Whom do we call when the tribulations rain down? The dua that we make when hard times come is not to tell Allah Ta'ala what He doesn't already know. When you make dua, and you say, Oh Allah, I'm going through this and that. You know that He knows. So what is the point of telling Him of your problems? The point is not to inform Allah Ta'ala of something He doesn't know about. He is Al-Alim. He knows everything. But it is to express servitude. It is to express what it means to the fundamental meaning of man which is ubudiyah, servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
when you express your servitude to Allah Ta'ala in dua by invoking Him and imploring Him, you are expressing the essence of what it means to be a khalq, a creation of Allah, to be insan. So between the dua of the Prophet ﷺ in that orchard, and the answer, the ultimate answer, was actually a dozen or more years. Because that dua was not just about the immediate environment, it was about the entire mission of calling humanity to La ilaha illallah. The answer to that came when Allah Ta'ala gave him the victory on the day of Fathul Makkah. So we also learn from this, dear brothers and sisters, that if we, as members of the Ummah of Rasulullah follow this path of patience and turning to Allah during difficulties, Allah will reward us and grant us divine openings and ease. All of this is the precursor to the Isra the Mi'raj that we remember on this day. The story of the Isra the Mi'raj is detailed and varied. And it is not within the scope of this khutbah to go through all of the details. But we mention the key points and the main takeaways. When Rasulullah returned to Mecca at some point, and this is in the month of Rajab, the Prophet was reclining and sleeping in the Hijr, the semi-circular area around the Kaaba. He was lying down to rest when the angel Jibreel and the angel Mikail came to him. And then there was a third angel, Israfil, and they brought him over to the spring of Zamzam, where they asked him to lie on his blessed back. And Jibreel took over from the other two angels, splitting the blessed chest, Shaq al-Sadr, where the blessed chest of Rasulullah was split. And Jibreel said to Mikail, Bring me a pitcher of water from Zamzam so that I may cleanse his heart and expand his breast. And he took out his blessed heart وسلم, and washed it three times. This was, as the ulama say, tuhrun ala tuhr. It was adding purity to purity. So the heart of the Prophet was literally removed and literally washed and literally placed back in and it was resealed. And this incident proves one very important thing. It proves that the Prophet ﷺ is a human unlike other humans. Muhammadun Bashadun Laka Bashari, al-Hajari. He is a human unlike other humans. Rather, he is like a ruby compared to ordinary stones. This incident proves that he is unlike other human beings. If our chest were opened up and our hearts were pulled out, we would experience excruciating pain and we would die. Yet Rasulullah felt no pain. He felt no discomfort. And he survived the experience. So anyone who wants to argue incidentally that the Prophet is just an ordinary man, then let them try something similar and see how they fare. They will not fare well. So after this, they brought him a tast, a golden vessel filled with wisdom and belief. 
And that was poured into his blessed chest. And it was filled with hilm and ilm and yaqeen, with certainty, forbearance and submission. And the Prophet ﷺ is readied for the journey. And the ulama say he was washed of the grief he suffered at Ta'if. Now he is ready to embark on this horizontal and this vertical journey that we call the Isra and the Mi'raj. It is common knowledge that the Isra was the night journey from Mecca to Al-Quds, where he also passed by Medina and Median, and that the Mi'raj was the celestial journey through the seven heavens and beyond. So the Isra was the horizontal journey, and the Mi'raj was the vertical journey. The Isra journey conferred honors upon the Prophet ﷺ and established his rank as Sayyidul Mursaleen, the leader of the Prophets, because they were waiting for him and he led them in Salat. And his journey through the heavens and the Mi'raj established the supremacy of his maqam, his rank among the Prophets and the Messengers as well as the angels. So in this miraculous journey, Rasulullah traveled with the angel Jibreel through each of the heavens, riding this miraculous creature known as the Buraq. This was a physical journey. And in each of the heavens, he encountered different prophets and spoke with them. And in this journey at each different heaven, he was shown different signs from the signs of his Lord, including being shown different punishments that people will experience in the hereafter for various sins. And this is where the Isra and the Mi'raj ties in to us. Because none of us have experienced the Isra and the Mi'raj. But the Prophet ﷺ returned and he communicated these details, many of which pertain to us. Because these punishments that he communicates to us, that he saw, are about sins that occur between human beings. This person is punished for this thing that they did to someone else. And so a lot of what he conveyed was what he saw of punishments for sins between human beings. Dear brothers and sisters, just as the night journey and ascent show the immense rank and the stature of our Prophet it also lays out a sort of blueprint for us, a kind of roadmap for how to live a life of sa'ada, of happiness and felicity in this world and salvation in the next. Essentially, what we learn from the story, the precursors that led to it and the experience itself, we learn three main lessons, things, elements that we have to have in our life every single day until the day we die. We learn about the foundation of Al-Imanu Billahi wa Rasuli, firm conviction and belief in Allah and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And Sidqul Ubudiyah Lillahi Ta'ala. We learn number two, to have truthful servitude to Allah Ta'ala, turning to Him in the good times and the bad. And lastly, from the experience of the Isra al-Mi'raj, we learn the importance of Al-Ihsanu ila nas bi-akhlaqin hasana 
to treat people well, to not involve ourselves in those sins for which he saw punishments in the journey that he communicated to us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us those three realities in every moment of our life. Al-Iman billahi wa bi rasuli. Firm conviction in Allah and His Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And sidqul ubudiyya lillah, truthful servitude to Allah. And al-ihsanu ila nas bi akhlaqin hasana. And treating people with good character. Ameen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakin fee kama yuhibbu rabbuna wa yarda wa salatu wa salam al-atamman al-akmalan al-mutalazimani ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam wa ba'd Dear brothers and sisters, the story of the Isra and the Mi'raj is multifaceted in detail. And as we said in the first khutbah, we do not have enough time on this day of Al-Jumu'ah to go through every single stage of the journey. So what we want to do in the second khutbah is look simply at two aspects of the journey that have to do with us. Number one, during the Mi'raj, that miraculous ascension through the heavenly realms, as we said, Rasulullah sallallahu was shown different punishments. And we see that most of the punishments that he saw were related to character flaws and behavior towards other human beings. For instance, he communicates to us upon his return that he saw a man swimming in a river of blood. And it was said to him that this is what happens to those people who consume riba, usury, and take advantage of other people. That is a sin between human beings. He also saw a man who had gathered a stack of firewood on his back that he could not carry. Yet this person kept adding more and more wood on his back. And he asked the angel Jibreel, Ya Jibreel, what is this? And the angel Jibreel السلام, said, This is a, is a man from your ummah who burdened himself with trust from other people. Amanat. He burdened himself with trusts from other people which he could not fulfill. Yet he insisted on carrying them. This is the yes man who takes on too many things but cannot render those trusts properly. And this teaches us to know our limits and to learn how to say no when we're not qualified or capable of handling a responsibility. And the Prophet ﷺ also saw individuals being punished for backbiting, for slander, for destroying other families. He saw people punished, tearing their skin, for spreading false rumors between people, for gossiping, for spreading tales about others. And he also saw وسلم, people being punished. And when he asked Jibreel what they were punished for, the angel Jibreel said that they are public speakers who spread fitna in the ummah. The public speakers who spread fitna within the ummah. How many public speakers 
within the ummah are spreading nothing but fitna, online and offline. They have a punishment in the hereafter for that sin. So the great lessons we learn from his vision relate to how we are with other people. Bad character, abusing the rights of others. Those are the things he communicated to us after his return from the Isra and the Mi'raj. Number two, in that journey on the Mi'raj, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commanded his beloved Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to establish 50 prayers in a day. That was the initial command. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as the quintessential abd, he accepts the command of his Lord. And as he journeys back, he has that famous conversation with Prophet Musa alayhi salam. He says, when I pass by Musa, he asks, what have you been ordered to do? And the Prophet sallallahu said, he was ordered to pray 50 prayers in the day. And Musa salam famously said, your followers cannot bear 50 prayers in a day. Go and ask Allah to reduce that for you. So we know in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ returns to the Divine Presence and asks for a reduction. And it is reduced. And then he encounters Musa again, who asks him how much it was reduced. And he says, that's not enough. Ask for a further reduction. And he returns to the Divine Presence. And this happens again. And Musa says the same thing. Ask for it to be reduced more. Until finally Allah Jalla Jalaluhu reduced the prayers from 50 to 5. And when the Prophet ﷺ encountered Musa and he said it was reduced to 5, even then Musa wanted it to be reduced. He said, your followers cannot bear this. Wallahi, I have tested my people before you and I have tried my best with them in vain. Ask for a reduction. Yet the Prophet ﷺ said he was too shy before his Creator to ask for a reduction from five. Now, there's a lesson in this. But let's preface that lesson or lessons with a very simple question. Why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have the Prophet ﷺ go through all of this when ultimately he knows in his knowledge that is going to be five prayers. Allah Ta'ala already knows. There's no updating to the knowledge of Allah Ta'ala. He knows that ultimately it's going to be five prayers obligatory on the Ummah of the Prophet So what is this supposed to teach us? This going back to the Divine Presence and asking for reduction over and over again until it's reduced to five. Why wasn't five ordained from the beginning? The ulama give us various answers. And each answer teaches us something about how to be a better Muslim. They say, number one, this whole story teaches us about the approachability of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That He is approachable with our dua. That we should never stop returning to Allah ta'ala in our own request for ease and relief from difficulty. Whenever we have a need, we do not need to ask just once. It's good to ask twice and three times, and four times. Allah knows what your need is. But asking over and over again 
is It is manifesting that servitude, what it means to be an abd. Likewise, this story teaches us the importance of salat. Because if we were initially asked to pray 50 prayers in a day, a very large number, that means that even though it's reduced to five, it's always going to be a big deal. So 50 to five is still important. And from this story, we also learn of the compassion of the Prophet ﷺ for this ummah, his concern for us, because he went back and forth several times, all for a concern with our well-being. حَرِيسٌ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَؤُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ He has a deep care and concern for the well-being of this ummah. And from this story, we also see the karam, the generosity of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this ummah. Because even though we only do five prayers in the day, we get a reward as if we've done 50. Because for every good deed, one receives a tenfold increase in reward. So one salat is equal to 10. And five prayers are equal to 50 in terms of reward. <coughs> Likewise, dear brothers and sisters, the whole story of the prayer being commanded at 50 and reduced to 5, shows us that things unfold slowly. The decrease did not go from 50 to 5 in one instant. There were multiple requests in a gradual reduction from 50 to 5, through steps, through stages. And this teaches us the importance of diligence and patience. And we should also feel the blessing of reduction. Imagine if I tell you, you have to carry a 200 pound box from here to the end of the road. And you know you have no option but to carry the 200 pound box. But then at the last moment I say, actually you can just carry a 20 pound box, that's enough. The 20 pound box is not that heavy compared to 200 pounds. But it's not a lightweight either. But when you compare the 20 pounds to the 200 pounds, you feel the blessing of reduction. It doesn't feel that difficult because you're comparing carrying 20 pounds to carrying 200 pounds, which was the first command. So if you're praying five times a day and you ever feel, man, five times a day, it's so many times in the day, it's so burdensome. Just remind yourself that it used to be 50 and you will be reminded of that reduction and the five will not seem so difficult and heavy upon you. So there's a great value in knowing what it was and what it could have been and what it's been reduced to, which makes us feel that it's lighter. And lastly, dear brothers and sisters, we see the role of Prophet Musa in this, alayhi salam. Musa alayhi salam was given this opportunity to show his concern for the ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And his desire to decrease the burden on this ummah. And that means that every single Muslim on the face of the earth has a debt of gratitude to Musa alayhi salam. Musa alayhi salam is one of the ulul azmi min al-rusul, one of the messengers of high resolve, who had great love for this ummah and a desire to even be from this ummah. And we see that love expressed in his desire for the reduction to ease our burdens. So we ask Allah Ta'ala to send salat and salams upon Sayyidina Musa and to reward him on our behalf for that request for reduction. 
may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make for us the salat, our own mi'raj, as the ulama say, as-salatu mi'rajul mu'min, that prayer is the mi'raj of the believer. And to let us feel the great uh, reduction in weight from that reduction granted by Allah Ta'ala to His Habib Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. May we have a daily mi'raj through our salat. And may we learn these lessons that He conveyed to us Sallallahu Alaihi wa Alaihi Wasallam. رَبَّنَا آتِنَا فِي الدُّنْيَا حَسَنَةً وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ حَسَنَةً وَقِنَا عَذَابَ النَّارِ اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد عبدك ورسولك النبي الرمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا بقدر عظمة ذاتك في كل وقت وحين سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين وقوموا إلى صلاتكم يرحمكم الله